This morning we're spreading our teaching moments out a little bit and this first talk is just simply a walk through our passage. So let's pray and then turn again to God's word. Lord, would you speak to us this morning? May your words stick to us now and minister to us in the coming week. And may everything else just fall away. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, as we've heard, our story starts just after the feeding of 5,000 and Jesus has sent his disciples out on their boat in Matthew 14, verse 22. And now in verse 24, at the gloomy end of a long night, the boat is buffeted by strong winds and high waves. And unlike the story in Matthew 8 of Jesus calming the storm, that video we all know, this time the disciples are not scared and screaming that they're going to die. This is just a tricky patch of strong wind. And we're not told they're scared at all until verse 26, when they see someone walking towards them on the water. And to be honest, I think I'd have been scared too. It's not quite dawn. They can't see clearly. They can't tell what's coming towards them across the water. So they assume it's a ghost or a something. And whatever it is, it's walking on the sea. So it doesn't even cross their minds it might be Jesus because literally no one ever has walked on the sea before. So verse 27, Jesus knows they're scared and calls out, don't be scared. It's me. I'm not sure how much calmer I'd feel, to be honest, to hear the voice of someone I know telling me not to be scared while they're walking out of the darkness towards me on top of the sea. But verse 28 now, as soon as Peter knows it's Jesus, he isn't scared anymore because peace isn't found in the absence of the storm, but in the presence of Jesus. I'm going to say that again, because I like it, and because I think we need to hear it. Peace isn't found in the absence of the storm, but in the presence of Jesus. Jesus never promises smooth sailing or calm seas, but he does promise to be with us always. So, Peter's fear is gone. And because he's Peter, he immediately wants to join Jesus on the water. So still in verse 28, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus does. He says, come. So Peter does. Peter's had a bad rap over the years, I think, as someone who lacked enough faith to walk on the water with Jesus. Hang on a minute, because I'm not sure it's fair or even accurate. For a start... I didn't see any of the other disciples lining up behind him to have a go on the water. Impetuous he might be, and he definitely is, but he's also a man for whom the very presence of Jesus on the water is enough to believe he can have a go too, and want to have a go. Just look at verse 29. Come, he, Jesus, said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, And came towards Jesus. In the strong winds and high waves, Peter trusts Jesus so much he climbs out of the boat 
and onto the water. And Jesus honours that faith by performing another miracle. First, Jesus himself walks on water. Now, Peter walks on the water. I wonder how it felt to walk on top of the water towards Jesus. Must have blown Peter's mind. But then he noticed the wind. Oh no! And it's so easily done, isn't it? Looking around and seeing the wind and the waves or the workload of the bills or the illness or even that new, exciting but actually quite scary opportunity. And forgetting for a moment that Jesus is always bigger. But what's Peter's immediate response to the sinking feeling of fear? Verse 30. He cries out to Jesus, Lord, save me. So even in his doubt and his fear, he cries out to Jesus because he knows Jesus will save him. Peter doubts, but he still has faith. And a deep enough faith that crying out to Jesus is his first instinctive reaction to the moment of crisis. He didn't ask Google or phone his mum or try to manage on his own. And this is something else I think we need to hear this morning. Crying out to Jesus should be our first thought, our instinctive reaction in moments of crisis. Because he is our Lord and he is mighty to save. And when Peter cries out, Jesus doesn't hesitate. Verse 31, immediately he reaches out his hand and he catches Peter, giving him an affectionate telling off for being a little faith one and giving in to doubts. And straight away in verse 32, as they both get into the boat, the wind dies down. Jesus' third miracle. It's been a busy morning and dawn's not even broken yet. Three miracles in. And it's this third miracle that finally stirs the other disciples to action. In verse 33, they've been very quiet while they've been watching Jesus and Peter walking on the water. And when the wind dies down, suddenly they erupt in spontaneous worship saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. All through this story, Jesus has performed extraordinary miracles, demonstrating that he's the Lord of the water, the wind, the waves. And now, having witnessed his power over the laws of nature, the disciples finally understand. And for the first time in Matthew's Gospel, they call Jesus the Son of God, and they worship him. This, I think, is the crux of this story who Jesus is, and how we should respond to him. He's the Lord, the Son of God, and our response to him should always be worship. When we fix our eyes on him, when we acknowledge who he is and have faith in him, we're not saying we'll have an easy life with no trouble at all. We're saying peace isn't found in the absence of the storm but in the presence of Jesus. We're saying crying out to Jesus will be our first thought, our instinctive reaction in moments of crisis. And we're saying, in all circumstances, Jesus, you are Lord, 
and I worship you. So let's worship him together now in prayer and then in song. So, I'm going to tell you a story now. I love stories. This one is a true story of not holding back and of stepping out of the boat. Our daughters, Millie and Mima, were both born with the same allergy to dairy and soy protein that I had. And I also had a toler- an intolerance to gluten. Millie's allergy wasn't diagnosed until she was a toddler, by which time she'd done quite a lot of damage and was on quite a lot of medication. But mine was picked up within days of her birth and her reactions were much more severe. Uh, Her paediatrician was arranging for her to be tested for anaphylaxis just before the story I'm going to tell you. So the constant risk of contamination made cooking like literally a nightmare. I vividly remember, (laughs) I've got a really strong mental image, of my mother-in-law rinsing a plate of food under a tap because she'd accidentally put the wrong gravy on it and also not being very happy about it. We were costing the NHS fortune every month in medication and hypoallergenic formula and eating out was such a faff. (laughs) And the girls were really poorly a lot of the time. At Easter in 2015, we went to spring harvest And Neil and I, in the run-up to it, we felt prompted to ask for prayer for healing for our allergies. Not least because uh, my mother-in-law was really keen that we did so. On the last night, the speaker called people with specific health issues up to the front uh, to be prayed for, saying she felt God was going to do healing that night. So one of the groups of people she called up was parents uh, with unwell children. So Neil and I went up the front to ask for prayer for the girls' allergies to be healed. And we'd just gone back to sit down when, up the front, she called people up who suffered from food allergies. So I went back up again to ask for prayer for my allergies and for the girls. The next morning, it was the final service, and the final service always includes communion. And the service leader said the bread was being passed round, and anyone needing gluten-free bread could go to the back, because there's a table at the back with the gluten-free bread. And I said to Neil, what should we do? What do I do? Should we assume I've been healed and eat the bread? Or should we not risk it? And shall I go to the back and have the gluten-free bread like I usually do? And we both prayed for a bit, and I held my hands out in front of me like I often do when I'm praying. And, uh, and suddenly the basket of bread was plonked into my open hands. <laughs> I kind of looked at it and looked at Neil and I said, what do I do? And Neil had this, I can only describe it as a glowy look on his face. And he was nodding. <laughs> yes, glory, that's right. And, <laughs> and he was nodding a lot. So I ate the bread. And then Neil ate the bread and we passed the basket on. And I looked at him and I said, what did I just do? Why have I eaten the bread? I hope you've heard something. (laughs) And he said, he'd prayed and he'd heard God say, see what I have done. And he really must have done it because I didn't react to the bread at all. And at this point, I was was quite ill. I couldn't even bake with normal flour because I would breathe it in and have a reaction to it. I was super sensitive to it. 
And now I'd eaten an actual chunk of actual bread. And I was fine. Anyway, after the service, we picked up the girls from their kids' group and we left Spring Harvest and we drove to a restaurant to celebrate my dad's 70th birthday with a whole bunch of our family. In the car, I said to Neil, what are we going to do about ordering food? Should we assume this was a full healing and that the girls have been healed as well? Or should we just take it slowly? We didn't want to be reckless with the girls' health, but equally we did want to embrace God's healing in faith. It's tricky, really tricky. So we prayed again. And again, Neil prayed with his eyes open, by the way, because he was driving. (laughs) But (laughs) he had the reassurance from God that we should step out and fully accept this healing. And he said, and this is where it starts to make sense why I'm sharing this in the context of our story today. Neil said that when Jesus called Peter out onto the water, he didn't say, slide your leg really carefully and slowly over the side of the boat and just dip your heel in a little bit and see what happens. He said, come. So, we took a deep breath. And we told the girls what had happened and that God had healed our allergies. Mima was about two and a half at this point. To be honest, <laughs> she was such a cheerful little thing. She just grinned happily and did some clapping and, you know, joined in the general, yay! She didn't know what was going on. She just thought we were having a car party. But Millie remembered life before her allergy. And, well, before it was diagnosed, and she, she got very excited, <laughs> very excited about the idea of choosing something to eat from a real menu and not just the allergy one. Anyway, when we got to the restaurant, I ordered for my met and me. And I chose things that were maybe a bit dairy-ish, but not too much. It felt safer. You know, she was only two and a half. Stepping out of faith, yes. But maybe just starting with little steps. And then it was Millie's turn to choose. And she went for it. I mean, she fully embraced the idea of leaping out of the boat. She went full dairy. She ordered a cheesy pizza with buttery garlic bread, followed by an enormous ice cream sundae. No sliding your leg carefully out of the boat for this girl. She kept her eyes fixed on Jesus with an open, accepting, childlike faith. Jesus healed me. Great. I can eat an ice cream sundae. Why not? Young children can do that sometimes, can't they? They can show us the way. Before all the self-consciousness and the social nerves kick in, they go ahead and teach their preschool class, our, great, our God is a great big God, or talk openly to their friends about Jesus, or in Millie's case, after spring harvest, do a show and tell for her class all about cheeses of the world, complete with a platter of interesting cheeses to share, and the story of how God healed her. I don't know about you, but that's the sort of faith I want. That wide-eyed, childlike wonder and awe at discovering this Jesus who performed miracles and walked on water and died and rose again. The same Jesus who loves us and knows us and calls us by name. The sort of faith that allows us to step out onto the water when Jesus says, Hallelujah, you reign, Lord Jesus.
Hallelujah. Please be seated. So, we've had a little mini Bible study, and we've had a story. Can you guess what's coming next? A poem! (laughs) So, at the start of the week, just when I was, actually, I'll be honest, it was in the middle of the night, I wasn't sleeping, I started to mull about the upcoming Sunday, and I was just sort of praying about it, and three, three lines popped into my head, just three lines of text popped into my head. It often happens like that. I don't know if there's anyone else here who writes poetry. But I often just get the, the start, and I think, well, if I write this down, God might show me the rest. <laughs> so that was what happened in the night. I got out my phone and I started typing, and this is the poem. And I think this, this is certainly what God has been saying to me this week. Um, I hope it resonates with some of you as well. It's called I Know the Boat. I know the boat. Every creek, a mother's comfort. Every curve, a mother's caress. The warmth of the wood. The ingrained scent of long years spent within the confines of this clearly defined space. My literal comfort zone. The wind is high tonight, the waves surge, the boat leans and lurches, the creeks quicken, the dark deepens past the longest hour. Dawn approaches, and all is well. But there, in the dim light, a distant movement on the water catches my eye, a shape, a figure, a ghost. Is it a ghost? No. I hear a voice. I know the voice. Every word, a friend's comfort. It's me. I'm here. Don't be scared. And in the relief and the shock of seeing this man, who a few hours earlier broke one handful of food into too many pieces for a whole hillside of people to eat, now... Walking across the waves. In the relief and the shock of it, the words just push past, jumping the queue like they so often do, not even checking in with my brain before they're out and loud and in the world. Lord, if it is you, tell me to come to you on the water. What? No, no, this boat, this is where I belong. These creeks, these curves. These smells, the reassuring familiarity and solidity underfoot. Come, he says. And before my poor brain can even lodge an objection, my feet are out over the edge of a boat and I'm walking on the water. I'm walking across the waves. No constraints, no confines, just Jesus. But the wind and the waves and the wet between my toes, I look around me and I know this is impossible. Jesus, I'm sinking. Save me. Back on the boat, shivering in the spreading dawn, I see the warm wood 
the familiar curves, hear the murmuring creeks, breathe in the scent of long, damp years. And I feel caged. And I wonder, how many more times will I falter and stumble wetly on the waves? How many more times will I turn away from him long enough for doubts to seep in through my cracks and seams and broken corners? How many more times will I re-cage myself after he has set me free? Lord, I know it is you. Don't stop telling me to come to you on the water. I want to come. Help me.